if you haven't got out yet, um, you're in a great position to begin this process of figuring out what you're going to do for the rest of your life now that you've grown up and gotten out of the military. That's Army veteran and MMA fighter John Rankin coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal. Navy Federal has a mission to put your members first by making their financial goals a priority. You can receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions. It's open to active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their family members. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including over 1 million veterans and their families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash VeteranMove for more information. All right, John Rankin, welcome to the show. Before we get to talking about business and entrepreneurship, you've had several things going on. Take us back. Tell us what you did in the Army. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. So I served in the Army before the war uh, from 1993 to 1996, and I was an infantryman up here at the 101st and did airborne school, ranger school, those kind of things. Awesome. So talk a little bit about your transition, you know, prior war time. Uh, what, what kind of, was your transition a success? What did it come as a surprise to you? Did you plan ahead or was it, uh, impromptu? Uh, a little bit of all of it, to be honest. Uh, cause when I got out of the army in 96, uh, I decided that I was going to go to school, use the GI bill, which ended up not happening because I fell out of a helicopter when I was in mm. and they gave me voc rehab. So my entire college education got paid for. And, um, during that time, the UFC became really popular and I started fighting professionally. And, um, and so it was a little bit of impromptu, a little bit of a plan and a little bit of just blind luck or the grace of God. Can you talk a little bit about your, your UFC career? I mean, it, it looks like you've had quite a bit of success and did it for a long time too. Yeah. So I started fighting in. 97 was my first professional fight and I fought all the way until like 2008, 2009, um, had about 70 pro bouts between boxing, kickboxing and MMA, uh, won six titles, uh, world titles, um, won multiple awards, was inducted into the MMA hall of fame. Um, and it was just something I was really passionate about. I loved getting in the cage and just one-on-one no excuses, nobody to blame but yourself. Um, it was definitely a, a highlight of my life. Yeah, no kidding. You lasted a long time in, in that job because, I mean, most guys don't last that long, do they? No, I don't think they – well, they're starting to now because training is far more scientific, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they they got proper nutrition. They're, they got doctors that are helping them out, chiropractors and therapists all that kind of stuff. So that stuff makes a difference. But I think the biggest thing was, is when I was fighting professionally, uh, there wasn't the grind of training that there is now. So there was the ability to have a longer career, uh, because you weren't doing, you know, six and seven hour days at the gym. Uh, you were basically doing two or three hours, uh, once or twice a week in the beginning. (laughs) And then as the sport evolved, 
training became, you know, almost like it is now for Olympic athletes and, you know, professional athletes like football players and stuff like that. Wow. So, yeah, so you're, you're definitely the guy that you want to have with you when you get in the bar fight. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I can still throw down even though I'm a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't as good as I once was, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So somehow you're able to turn your your MMA stuff into uh, global global combative operations GCO. You train in uh, special forces guys how to fight. Can you talk about how you got into that side of the business? Yeah, again, um, kind of impromptu luck, grace of God, whatever you want to call it. Um, so in 2000, I moved back to Fort Campbell, um, and one of my buddies was on a team at fifth group and he asked me to come down and help him train. And so I came down and there happened to be a, a karate guy there that day and was basically, you know, not up with the evolution of fighting and made a bunch of, you know, crazy statements. And so I ended up head kicking a couple of guys, knocking them out and they offered me a job. And so <laughs> Uh, Usually when you head kick a couple guys uh, in that scenario, you don't get the job. Yeah, no, uh, they totally, they totally were impressed and were like, Hey, you want a job? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, man, that sounds awesome. I was like, sure. Um, and so that was it. Like I said, that was in 2000 and started working for him in 2000. I had been down a couple of times in 99 and 98 doing like a, you know, just a seminar or whatnot for him. Um, And then what ended up happening was the Army launched the Modern Army Combatives Program shortly after I started working at Fifth Group. And uh, I went down on my own dime, met Matt Larson and a bunch of the guys that are kind of old school guys now. And I actually became the first certified civilian trainer for the military. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, I think the the similar time or at when the Marine Corps launched their Marine Corps martial arts program. So I remember yeah. like it mm-hmm. got implemented. It was a big problem because all of a sudden Marines were med down left and right because of broken fingers, ribs, wrist, ankles, knees, everything it became a huge issue. Yeah. Well, and w- w- you know, whenever you're training to any kind of, yeah, we, we had some of the same problems in the army. So what I'm about to say is not, you know, just the Marines, it's the army. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do get the broken fingers, you get the busted knees and whatnot, but the truth is, and this is supported statistically as well, is, is that road marching and running in the army and basketball, uh, contribute three to one, the injury ratio of learning how to fight. Um, and those injuries are far more, um, uh, far more damaging and long lasting than anything you get from combatives. Yeah. Uh, it was really about a shift in culture from PT was really unconnected to what we do to the art within the military to now we're learning how to fight because this war, as we all know, is very different. You're talking about, you're going into rooms, there's 10 feet of difference between you and the bad guy. So hand to hand combat became relevant again. Yeah. And same statistic in the Marine Corps. Basketball was my sport, and it was the same. Basketball was the sport that caused more injuries than anything else. Um, oh, for sure. So, you know, you're going up, you're jumping up in the air, and you come down on your ankle. You know, there's just a ton of it, right? And because when we're when we're playing court ball, and you know, none of us are professionals at that stuff. 
So our injury <laughs> ratios are far greater. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So can you talk about, I mean, you, you worked, you worked at GCO uh, teaching combatives for a long time. Can you talk a little bit about the money aspects of that was, did, did you become a company uh, around that or was it, were you just a single, single guy where they, they hand you a paycheck or did you become a GS or. Yeah. I, I, so what I, what ended up happening was in, in the beginning, I actually worked for free for almost uh, eight months. Mm -hmm. Then it became a contract. Then, uh, as the contract evolved from being just a credit card swipe to an actual contract, then I needed to incorporate and have a business that worked for the government. Um, so in 2006, uh, was where that took place. Uh, then again, in 2009, they changed the contract again to where I had to become an escort, um, or a corporation. I didn't have to be an escort. That was the, the route I chose. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been that way since 2009. And what were some of the lessons learned when you, you, you have to actually have to incorporate, become your own company and develop contracts? And even though you're probably single source bidding, what kind of uh, lessons learned did you get there? Um, so I think the biggest lesson is, is do you want to pay the taxes now or do you want to pay the taxes later? <laughs> um, so when, when, you, when you're an escort, you pay the taxes at the end after you've written everything off and whatever's left is your profit margin. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what you're going to pay the taxes on. Uh, when you're an LLC, you pay the taxes on every dollar that comes in and then you get like a refund or whatever, uh, if you're, if you qualify for that. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the big lessons I learned. Um, I, I read a, um, a great book that kind of helped me with my thought process on it. Uh, not necessarily in the contracting realm, but just as a corporation, which was called Inc. and Grow Rich. Um, and it, it really helped me kind of make some determinations on which way I wanted to go. Awesome. Well, hey, yeah, we're going to take a quick break and, and we'll be right back. Within a few months when I first joined the Marine Corps, I became a Navy Federal member. That was over 29 years ago, and I still have the same account after 29 years. Navy Federal has a mission, to put members first by making their financial goals a priority. You can receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions. A credit card APR average that is 4% lower than the industry's. Member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and perks. Access to over 300 branches and thousands of fee-free ATMs. They also have 24-7 live support through their U.S.-based call center. Navy Federal is open to active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their family members. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including over 1 million veterans and their families. At Navy Federal Credit Union, their members are the mission. Visit NavyFederal.org slash VeteranMove for more information. That's NavyFederal.org slash VeteranMove for more info. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Hey, let's talk about finding freelance talent for your business or project. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. Where do you go to find the talent? How much will it cost? How can you be certain they'll deliver? Fiverr's Marketplace helps you get more done with less. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. Find what you're looking for instantly. I'm telling you, 
Kelly and I use Fiverr all the time in our businesses, not only with this podcast, but our Amazon business. Always truly amazed at the quality of the product that comes out of the folks we hire on Fiverr. Highly recommended. Take five and check out Fiverr.com and you'll get 10% off your first order if you use my code VETERAN when you check out. It's so easy. Don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going to Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use my code VETERAN. All right, back talking with Army veteran and MMA fighter and entrepreneur John Rankin. Hey, John, so we, we've been talking quite a bit about Global Combatives Operations, GCO, your company that you uh, were involved with uh, teaching military members basically hand-to-hand combat and how to fight. What As as that business evolved and, and started to you know, became quite mature, you, you also started looking at other things in um, GCO is still there, but you've actually started another business. Um, tell us about how one thing evolved into something completely different. Yeah. So it was about three years ago. Um, the army had me actually traveling around the country a lot more. I went from one or two times a year to in 2017, I had seven trips that they put me on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest expense of those trips was actually flights, hotels, rental cars. And I thought to myself, if I could actually find a way to decrease the cost of travel, I could put more money in my pocket. And, you know, uh, it really kind of led me down a path to where I'm at today, which is as I began to examine the travel industry as a whole, I realized number one, it's an $8 trillion industry per year. So, you know, it's Mm -hmm. nearly half of the national deficit every year. Um, and then I found out that there were actually ways to beat the prices of Expedia and Priceline. And those are the major two. And, and so I, I started to really look at it from the angle of how could I break into this industry, make a profit and, and really to develop an ex- exit strategy. Um, because as a government contractor, and I think most of the listeners will understand this if they know anything about, you know, working for the government, um, it really goes the way of the administration in, in office. So, uh, from 2008 to 2016, uh, those were lean years in the government because the, the president we had at the time was not very pro military. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, of late here, we've had a president who gives us raises and gives us more money. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not a political statement in that, you know, uh, it's just, it's just the fact is, is democratic presidents cut the budgets for military Republican presidents typically raise them. Right. Mm. And so when you're looking at a business with the government, who's in office makes a big difference on, on your bottom line. And, um, and then I just started to really, I'm, I'm older now I'm 47. Um, so we're, we're really trying to draw ourselves out of the conflicts that we're in. And I was like, man, how much longer do I really have left in this, this career field? And because I've done it for so long, I'm exclusively qualified for that. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of other places you can go where I, I can teach other people how to punch people in the face. Right. (laughs) So, um, so, and, and like I said, so in 2016, 2017, I really began to examine, can I make a living in the travel industry? And I looked at travel agents and they make like 20 grand a year, which is horrible money. Um, and I, I got custody of four kids. So that's 
that's not even toilet paper money in. So I really began to look at how can I make this profitable? How can I make money doing this in a way where I'm not a travel agent? And, and that's really what springboarded me into where I'm at today. Yeah, all the websites, travel apps, everything else, it's all self-service. Now, there, there's hardly even any travel agents left, let alone, you know, that they're making any money, the ones that are left. Yeah, so, so, yeah the, the, the Department of Labor uh, says that by 2025, they'll be extinct. Yeah, I can believe it because I mean, nobody uses travel agents anymore except actually a lot of government travel. We, they still have travel agents and some of sure the corporations. You know, they get their yep. own travel folks with it in-house. But so – the travel aid, the the travel business is obviously massive, but there's also massive companies. You mentioned Priceline, Expedia, and all the others out there. Like, I, I just I'm baffled that you know a guy, military contractor type who traveled a lot, thought he could break into that and do it better than the people that are already there doing it. Sure. Well, that's where you know. Uh, I had some of the same thoughts. How, how are you going to compete against Expedia, who does $88 billion a year? And the answer is you can't. So I didn't. I did something completely different than them. <laughs> huh. So so talk, uh, talk us through that. Yeah. So, so as I was researching the travel industry, there was a couple of things that really became apparent to me which is that the number one struggle inside the travel world is the price of flights. Uh, when I talk to people and I ask them about travel, it's always the price of flights. Hmm. Um, so what I really did was I set out to, to understand the flight industry, how they make their money, and how can I, for lack of better language, cheat them out of paying that much money. Yeah. Um, and I found ways to do that. And then what I do is I teach people how to do that. Uh, so that's one component of what I do. Uh, the other thing I found was, is that the most profitable, um, section of travel is group travel. So you gather 10, 20, 30 people together, you take them somewhere, you can really negotiate a better rate on everything, but the airline, uh, with the hotel, with the experiences, with the excursions, and then you mark it up for a profit. Um, and then the third thing that I understood was, is that, um, people are still in a position where, um, they're looking for the answers of how they could travel, um, and travel more affordably. So I do a lot of lives and I coach and I teach people where they can save money inside the travel industry, whether that be through a hotel and Airbnb, uh, you know, which rental car company to use, how do points work, and then I incentivized it all. Interesting. So can you talk through a little bit about how you're, how you're monetizing what you're doing? Sure. Well, I mean, the first and the most obvious one is, is that I put together group trips for people oh. based on where they want to go, and then I charge them to go there. And, you know, that nets me a really good profit. And the great thing is, is because I've learned how to cut the cost in travel is I, I just give you an example. Uh, I'm taking a group to Iceland in March and my trip is almost, almost $2,000 cheaper than the next closest trip to what we're doing. Um, so when the consumer looks, I want to do a trip and they look at doing it on their own, the stress of planning it, 
figuring out the money, figuring out when to do it, all those things, and then the cost, they basically bow out. When you prepackage it for them and you take them and they get a good deal, it's a no-brainer for many people. Um, so that's one way that I incentivize um, the uh, or monetize. The second way is I actually teach them flight hacking, how to get, here's an example. So I just got round trip tickets to Norway because I'm training the Norwegians. Uh, and I got those round trip tickets for 343 bucks. So that's another way. I teach them how to actually do flight hacks. Um, and it's a, it's a short class. It's an hour, hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. They go in and they learn how to actually piece together their own airfare so that they're not paying $1,500, $1,000 to fly to Europe. Um, I won't fly to Europe anymore for less than, you know, for more than 500 bucks. <laughs> um, so another component that I do, which I love this one, I don't get a lot of it yet. Um, I'm hoping to, which is what I call mystery adventures. Um, basically you're going to pay me to put together a weekend or a week getaway where you don't know where you're going until you get to the airport. Um, I love this one because I'm an adventurer and I like surprises. And so, um, uh, it, and it's a great, it's a great little piece of what I'm doing. Wow. That's awesome. So you've almost become like a travel agent yourself. Yeah, close. Um, again, I don't book people's travel unless it's a group trip, but then I'm not booking theirs individually. I'm just booking a big group. Yeah, that's cool. So is, has that become, has your travel business become the bulk of what you're doing now? Uh, not the bulk. It's, you know, it's probably 50, 60% now. Um, you know, it just depends. Like there's seasons where it's really, it's really banging. And then there's, you know, seasons when it's not. So, yeah. uh, the goal is, is that by the end of this year, it will be, uh, netting me as much as my government contract does. Yeah. So you're still doing, you're still doing the combatives training with the government. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's the great thing about the travel pieces is, is it's mobile. I can do it anywhere. So yeah. I don't have to have an office. I don't, you know, my trips are covered. I get to go to Iceland for free, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And how many of the group trips that you're doing, how many of those do you typically go with? Are you basically their, I take their guide dog? Max out. Yeah. I, so basically I become the, the tour guide. Uh, and it take 30 people. Wow. That's cool. Now, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. What kind of, like, what kind of people are you finding or typically your clientele? Like, is it, are there a theme to 85%, it? 85%. Yeah. So this is good. You're going to laugh at this. 85% of all travel is planned and purchased by women. 85% really? 85%. Wow. And so on your trips, is it mostly women that are on it or is it the women planning it and they're, they're bringing their husbands along too? Or Yeah. So typically because the way you do group trips is, is double occupancy. So it's almost always the, the woman with her family, uh -huh. right? Um, you don't get a lot of just single women going because you know, they got to pay, you got to pay double occupancy. So uh -huh. basically if you, if it's, if it's just you, you're paying about, you know, not double, but you're going to end up paying an extra 600, 700 bucks or something. Yeah. And, and your ultimate goal with, with travel Mavericks is that eventually you're, you're pulling away from the combatives training and, uh, 
and, and going more hundred percent with the travel industry. Yeah. Just looking for, like I said, uh, you know, <laughs> so we're in a position now where I'm fairly certain Trump doesn't get impeached. Right. <laughs> um, however, if he doesn't get impeached, then we have an election coming up. And then if he wins the reelection, I've got maybe five years left. If he doesn't win, that window for government contracting with the next Democratic president, if you look at the board right now, um, whew, I, I'm not very confident of my ability to survive through another Democratic uh, president. <laughs> yep. Always got to have something in your back pocket. So, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, talk a little bit about because um, if you're talking to somebody that's still on active duty, or maybe they got out and they landed in a, in the job, but they're really wanting to get something going on their own. Talk a little bit how you balance your, even though even though your combatives is your own business, it's not like you're working for a company. But talk a little bit about how you've been, managed to side hustle your travel business. Yeah, so he, this is actually how I got started too. Was as I began to realize the need for an exit strategy. Um, I started asking myself, what do I enjoy? What do I love? And what would I do for free even if I wasn't getting paid for it? And I love to travel. So it became a very clear answer to me that this is a place that I can monetize. And what I would, what I would tell people that are looking at uh, a side hustle is that there's three main components. Are you passionate about it? So passionate that you would do it even if you weren't getting paid. Right. Yeah. Uh, because the truth is, is if you're not passionate about it, you probably don't have the discipline or the motivation to continue doing it when you're not getting paid initially. Right. Um, so that passion is, is gotta be there in order to take you through when it doesn't make you as much as you thought it was going to make you because it won't initially, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, the second thing I would look at is, how, how much time is it going to really take from you? And can you fit that in when you're done with your nine to five job? Or is it something that you can build on the side while you're working your, your current job? Um, and then I would just look at your own value system. Um, you know, there's tons of side hustle opportunities out there, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't really meet your, your value system or the way that your personality is designed, uh, the chances of success are, are are dropping when you start to look at doing things that you're not passionate about and don't meet your value system. So, yeah. um, so that would be my first recommendation: is find something you're passionate about, look at the time requirements, and can you fit it in what you're doing? Because you're going to have to work extra hours. And you know, uh, entrepreneurialism uh, is is a tough road to start with. I think. Um, I was reading something in Forbes the other day that that really only three to six percent of our population has what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then it, when and most of us know this, but when you start your own endeavor, I think it's something like eighty percent of them fail in the first year or two. Oh yeah. Um, so it's got to be something that's going to take you through those lean nights where you're waking up going, "What the hell did I think I was doing?" <laughs> you know. And uh, I've just found for me personally that if it's not something that I wake up in the morning and smile about, when when it gets tough, you're not going to do it because it's not something you're passionate about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hey, so 
Travel Mavericks, if someone's interested in your in your travel hacks and your travel travel services, how do we find you? Yeah, so travelmavericks.com or johnrankin.com, either one will work. Um, just reach out to me. There's um, there's all kinds of information on those websites, and um, you know you can just message me direct, directly, John at johnrankin.com, um, or you can hop on my Facebook. Uh, that's where most of the people are contacting me through. Uh, and I have a Facebook group that's free where I teach people how to do travel hacking. Well, that was my next question. So if I if I come to you and I say, hey, man, uh, teach me your hacking secrets on getting uh, cheap airfares. You, how do you yeah. go about doing that? Yeah, so I have, a, I have a ClickFunnel page that does all that for me. It's already been recorded, and then it gets updated as I find new information. Um, if you reach out to me, I can send you the link. And then that's like a that's like a course that I buy, or how does it yeah? Work? It's a course. It's a course that you buy. Comes with all the notes. Comes with PowerPoint slides. Comes with videos. Um, you get added into a, a chat group where you get one-on-one access to me, and I'll answer any questions. Hey, you know, I'm trying to get to Siberia, and I'm finding prices are fifteen hundred dollars. What do I do differently? <laughs> and then I'll I'll sit down with you. And I'll show you how to get there for way less than fifteen hundred. Nice. Wow, that's cool. All right. So, so John, if you're talking to that guy that's still in the military, getting ready to go through transition, uh, maybe already got out, wants to get their own venture going, what kind of advice would you have to that person that's wanting to start their own business? Yeah. So there's two two different topics there. So if you haven't got out yet, um, you're in a great position to begin this process of figuring out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Now that you've grown up and gotten out of the military, (laughs) um, you know, because I like, sometimes I look back at my own life and go, man, why did I get out? (laughs) It's so much easier. And, um, you know, and, and, um, I think college is important, but it's really not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, as you're beginning your exit strategy from the military, I would really begin to look at and start to evaluate what are your skill sets? What are you passionate about? And where could you see yourself being inside those two, those two qualifying factors, right? And then I would look across the field and find out what those people are making. Um, And then you can use that to guide your educational process. Um, since I got out, which was a long time ago, the, the college and VA loans and all that stuff has really dramatically changed. And so there are ways for you to even use the, the post 9-11 GI Bill for more entrepreneurial things. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be just college anymore. So you really need to sit down and take a look at that. And then if you're already out, it's it's similar process except for that now you've probably got a job that's going to require, you know, between 30 and 40 hours of your time. So as you're looking at making that transition to being an entrepreneur, you have to ask yourself, how much time can I dedicate per week to getting my tasks done? And then what's, what's the monetary value of that? Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually had a friend that came to me about this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, his side hustle is now almost making as much as his full-time job. And he said, at what point do I quit? 
And I said, if I were you, I wouldn't quit until your side hustle doubles what you're making at your job. And here's why. Because the economy flexes. You know, you might be doing really well now, but when summer hits, what if that bottoms out on you, right? So you want the ability and the flexibility to be able to survive the lean months. Uh, And every business is going to have those lean months. Uh, It could be summer. It could be the holidays depending on, you know, what you're doing. And so you've really got to ask yourself those kind of questions up front. Um, if you've already, if you're already in a job, at what point do you quit that job? How many hours can you sacrifice from family and friends and job, you know, and all those things kind of go into that process of making a decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey John, great advice. Uh, great hearing your Multiple success stories in the in the entrepreneurial world. Definitely a fighter in in uh, more ways than one. So <laughs> I appreciate you uh, sharing your success stories, and uh, we look forward to your future success. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. I appreciate it, and uh, um, some great golden nuggets there. All right, these two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show. Leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.